Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Last week, Michael Hart did an excellent job um, preaching for us from Acts chapter 11, and we looked at uh, the, uh, the city of Antioch, and the believers there in Antioch were first called Christians. And it was Antioch, this, this city where they were first called Christians, that becomes like the launching pad for the rest of the book of Acts. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, and some of his associates are going to go on what are called missionary journeys that encompass the rest of the, the book. And they always go out of Antioch. Antioch is like the, the Cape Canaveral, right, of, uh, of the ancient world. Like SpaceX is trying to, to get to, to Mars, their mission to Mars, and they leave from Kennedy Space Center. Well, Antioch is the Kennedy Space Center, right, for the mission of God going out in the book of Acts. Uh, and so here's a, a map of uh, all the journeys that are going to make up the rest of the book. Now, if you're looking at this map, it kind of looks like a hurricane spaghetti model uh, plot. But uh, you can see here, um, here's the Mediterranean Sea. This is uh, Israel right in here. And Antioch is up here. And every single one of these journeys, which are marked by different colors, start out of the city of Antioch and then go through uh, Asia Minor, Asia Minor area. Um, and so here's a, another map that kind of zooms in and focuses just on what we're looking at this morning, which is the beginning of what's known as the first missionary journey that's going to cover the next couple chapters of the book of Acts. And here's Antioch up here. And we're going to see that uh, Paul and Barnabas leave from Antioch and come down here to Seleucia and then sail to the island of Cyprus. And we're asking the question, what happens there when the gospel comes to this island of Cyprus? Uh, Cyprus was uh, and is the, the size of Puerto Rico. Uh, so you get a sense of the, the size uh, of the island. It was a key mining and trading center. It was the first stopover for someone who was traveling from uh, Israel and going to the ends of the earth, this is, this is where they would stop over as they were heading to uh, southern Turkey and, and beyond. Uh, it was Barnabas's homeland. We're going to read about Barnabas. This is where Barnabas was from. He grew up on the island of Cyprus. Here's a picture of Cyprus today. Not bad, not bad. Maybe that should be your next summer vacation spot. Um, the Mediterranean Sea uh, was, was the barrier between Israel and the ends of the earth. And so uh, here we see the, the gospel starting to move towards uh, the ends of the earth as they set off across the Mediterranean. Saul and Barnabas are going to go to Cyprus, not on vacation, but on mission. So uh, before I read for us, let me, let me ask the Holy Spirit's help. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see uh, the truth of your word? Would you open our hearts to believe and to respond uh, with faith and repentance? Would you bring glory uh, to the Father and the Son 
through the preaching of your word, we pray. Uh, Amen. So if you're willing and able, would you stand? And I'm going to read from Acts chapter 13, the first 12 verses. Acts 13, starting at verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of, of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and all villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inspired word. You may be seated, please. So in 1950, there was a show on television called The $64,000 Question. Uh, And the whole premise of this show was there were seven questions of increasing difficulty And if you could answer all of them, you get to the final question, the seventh question, the hardest question, and uh, and you got it right, you would win $64,000. Well, 40 years later, in the 1990s, a spinoff of that show came out. It was called, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Right, you remember that show with Regis and, uh, you know, the lifelines, like phone a friend? And the series of multiple choice questions that would build and get more and more difficult, you'd get to the final question, the hardest question, and if you could answer that one right, if you could answer the million dollar question, you would, uh, you would win um, the prize money. Isn't that interesting? From 1950 to the 90s, it went from the $64,000 question to the million dollar question. Why is that? Well, we know why it is called inflation, right? We're experiencing it right now, right? Maybe it should be like the billion-dollar question. Um, The million-dollar question. When it comes to Christianity, there is a million-dollar question. 
There is a million dollar question, and it is this. When the gospel is proclaimed, why do some people believe and some people don't? When the gospel is preached, why do some people believe and some people don't? My mom was pregnant with me. She was not a believer. She and my dad were married. He wasn't either. They, they uh, decided we need help with this uh, baby that's coming. And so they walked into the doors of a Presbyterian church in Richmond, Virginia one Sunday morning. My mom heard the gospel and the Holy Spirit opened her eyes and she believed. She became a follower of Jesus to this day. My dad didn't to this day. Why? You can be in youth group, right? You can have uh, the youth group, you can have two kids hearing the same messages, spend the same amount of time, go on the same retreats. They go off to college, one believes and one doesn't. Why? In, in the New Testament, there were two men who witnessed the greatest act of love in all of history. They saw Jesus' blood flow from his wounds. One believed and one didn't. Why? Each and every weekend, right, when we gather for worship, there are people here who believe and there are people here who don't. Why is that? It's the million-dollar question, right? And it's not, just that, it's not just that some people believe and some people don't, like it's, like it's 50-50, right? Actually, Jesus said it this way. He said, the gate is wide, the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter in it by are many. The gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. This year, in 2022, the world population will officially surpass 8 billion people. 8 billion people in the world, and our most... You know, conservative estimate is there are probably 2.4 billion Christians. 30% of the world believe in Jesus. 70% don't. Why? It's the million-dollar question, right? It's what you see illustrated throughout the book of Acts. It's what Paul and Barnabas experienced as they went on their missionary journeys. In every synagogue... In every city, in every preaching of the gospel, many people did not believe, but some did. Why is that? So take your sermon outline. It's on the inside cover of your bulletin. If you fill it all out correctly, you'll be entered in a drawing for a million dollars. A million monopoly dollars. Um, what's the answer to the question? We see it here in Acts 13. First, why do many people not believe? Why is it that many people do not believe? And the answer is blindness. Blindness. My wife and I love the show, This Is Us. And, uh, you know, so sad that it came to an end this year. Uh, in, the, in the final season, there's an episode where uh, little Jack, the son of Kate and Toby... He's, uh, he was born blind. 
And his, his parents try to teach him how to navigate his world as a blind person. And they have a routine of every um, uh, morning, uh, like a Friday morning of the week, they go and they go to the park. And he knows how many steps and the sounds to listen for and, and to try to feel for to get to the playground. And uh, then uh, one morning he gets out of the house. The door is unlocked and he, he goes to try to go to the park by himself. And, uh, and he's blind. He can't see. He, watching that, uh, that part of the show as he's making his way to the park is one of the most stressful things because he almost gets hit by a car Right? He, he, uh, he does finally get to the park, but he thinks he's running towards the swing set, and he actually is running towards some concrete steps. Uh, he falls down and, and hurts himself. He's blind. Right? He, doesn't, he can't get to where he's going. This is us. This is us. Um, the Bible teaches that all of us, because of original sin are born blind. Not physically blind, but spiritually blind. You see, sin isn't just the bad things that we do. It is those things, but sin is also uh, our natural heart condition. And that condition is one of blindness to the things of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. From birth, we cannot see Jesus. We cannot move toward Jesus. We cannot believe in Jesus. We are lost in the dark. Paul says in Romans 3, none is righteous. No one seeks after God. No one is good. No one has the fear of God before their eyes because we are blind. We see this illustrated here in the passage in Acts 13. Paul and Barnabas left Antioch and traveled to Cyprus. And it says, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Bar in Hebrew means son. And so, uh, and, and Jesus comes from the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means salvation. And so this man was claiming to be a son of salvation, that he knew the way to please God, that he knew the way uh, to guarantee favorable outcomes from God. It says there that he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, another name for Bar-Jesus, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Why did Elimus Bar-Jesus, this Jewish magician, why did he try to get the proconsul to not believe the gospel? Well, one reason is because of his livelihood. His livelihood was at stake. Um, he was like a court wizard. It was, it was his job to facilitate divine guidance for the governor of this island. Uh, and so Paul and Barnabas were squeezing in on his turf. Right? They were a threat to his um, livelihood. But Elimus wasn't just opposed to the gospel for financial reasons. He was also just like all of us, right? spiritually blind, opposed to God, dead in sin. 
And when, when the Lord physically blinds him, the hand of the Lord blinds Elimus, it is an external picture of what was already true of him internally. Look again at verse 11. It says, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. That is every human being left in their fallen condition. We grope around in the dark. We are spiritually blind because of our sin. But it's even more than that, our blindness. It's not just because of our sin that we are spiritually blind to the gospel. It's also um, because of the influence of Satan. Paul saw through Elimus and through his magic to something deeper and darker and demonic. Look again at verses 9 and 10. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Paul essentially was saying to him, you're not a son of Jesus, you're a son of the devil. Um, the, the confrontation between Paul and Elimus is actually a confrontation between good and evil, between truth and deception, between the purposes of God and the purposes of Satan. Look, um, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul wrote this, he said, the God of this world, that's referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Theologian David Garland says about this verse, he says, Satan has been defeated by the cross of Christ, but in his death throes, Satan still has the strength to besiege human minds and to incite them to embrace and exalt evil rather than God. He continues to try to blind people by leading them to disdain the scandal of the cross and look for glory elsewhere. You remember Jesus told a parable one time called the parable of the sower. And he said, uh, a man went out to sow some seed. And, uh, and, and as he did that, some of the seed fell on the hard path. And uh, the birds came and ate it up, took it away. And when uh, later he explained the meaning of this parable to his disciples, he told them, this is what happens when someone uh, hears the word of the kingdom, uh, but then Satan comes and snatches that word away um, from them, that word that was sown in their heart. So why do many people not believe the gospel? Because sin makes us blind. And then our blindness is only further uh, amplified and taken advantage of by the evil one. It's like, it's like a double whammy, right? And yet, yet, for 2,000 years, some people, while many have rejected the gospel, some have believed. Many of you here this morning have believed. Sergius Paulus in Acts 13, believed. Why do some people believe? Is it because that uh, those who believe are smarter than those who don't believe? 
I mean, it says in the passage that Sergius Paulus was a man of intelligence. So maybe that's it. Maybe, you know, it, it's, it has to do with your mental ability. Or, or maybe those who believe are just more spiritually sensitive than those who don't believe. You know, kind of like how some guys are more in touch with their emotions than other guys are. Is it, is it that? Is that the reason why? Um, why? Why have you believed? Is it because of the family you were born into? Is it because deep down you know that you're really a good moral person, at least, you know, kind of like above the human average, and that's why you believed? Well, the answer is D, none of the above, right? When the, when the gospel is proclaimed, some people believe only because of one reason. It's the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. Did you notice that the, the Holy Spirit is all throughout this passage that we read? The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. So they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. The only way that blind people can see is if the Holy Spirit opens their eyes. The only way that dead people can live is if the Holy Spirit breathes new life into them. The only way that anyone says yes to God is if the Holy Spirit enables them to say yes by giving them a heart of flesh for their heart of stone. That verse that uh, we read earlier from 2 Corinthians 4 about how the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of Christ. It goes on after that verse to say, for those who do believe, why did they believe? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has to shine into our darkness in the same way that God uh, said, let light shine at the beginning of creation. He has to recreate us. Um, you see, um, your blindness is no barrier for the Holy Spirit. And neither are the schemes of the devil. They can't stop the Holy Spirit if he wants you. Charles Spurgeon said, the Lord, when he means to save sinners, does not stop to ask them whether they mean to be saved. But like a rushing mighty wind, the Holy Spirit sweeps away every obstacle. The unwilling heart bends before the potent gale of grace, and sinners that would not yield are made to yield by God. For herein rests the power of the gospel. It does not say, will you have it, but it makes you willing in the day of God's power. The gospel wants not your consent, it gets it. It knocks the enmity out of your heart. And no one knew that better than the Apostle Paul, right? Because when the Apostle Paul was Saul of Tarsus, he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. And the Lord Jesus met him on the road and knocked him off his horse and blinded him. And he had to, to grope and find his way to the city. And uh, Jesus found a guy named Ananias and said, I want you to go to Paul and tell him that he's to be my missionary to the Gentiles. And so Ananias goes to the Apostle Paul and says, uh, it says he departed, he entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, 
who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he, he regained his sight, and he arose and was baptized. You see, wherever the gospel goes, many people do not believe because of their blindness. But some do believe, and they believe not because of anything in them, not because they weren't blind, they were, we're all blind, but because of the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit, opening their eyes. Anthony Hukuma sums it up in uh, this quote, it's, it's actually in your bulletin, the reflection section here, uh, it is on the screens. To ask people who are by nature spiritually dead, hostile to God, unable to understand the things of God's spirit, unable to submit to God's law, blind, right? To ask someone in that condition to respond favorably to his invitation to repent of sin and believe in Christ is like asking a totally deaf woman to answer your question or a totally blind man to read a note you have written. It is like standing on top of a roof and asking a man on the sidewalk below to fly up to join you. We need nothing less than a miraculous rescue from the murky waters of sin in which if left alone, we would drown. This miracle occurs when God in his amazing grace calls us effectually through his spirit from spiritual death to spiritual life, from spiritual darkness into his marvelous light. So what should be your response to this, right? What should be your response? Now that you know the answer to the million dollar question, why do some people believe and many people don't? What should you do? What should you do? Don't make excuses. That's what you should do. Don't make excuses. Whether you're sitting here this morning as an unbeliever or as a believer, don't make excuses. If you're an unbeliever, if you know you haven't said yes to Jesus and the gospel, don't make excuses. Don't say, well, if I'm blind and if there's nothing that I can do, then I'm off the hook, right? It's all up to God anyway. There's nothing for me to do. No, the call of the gospel is being extended to you this morning. And there is something for you to do. It's called repent. Repent. Believe. Turn to the Lord. Confess your sins. Run to Jesus. Receive his forgiveness. Elimus, uh, it's interesting about him, is that um, it says, Paul said to him, you will be uh, blind you will be unable to see the sun for a time, for a time. You realize that Elimus's blindness was temporary, right? That, that Elimus's story hadn't been finished yet. There was still this, this grace that was held out for him, that repentance was still an option. We don't know ultimately what happened to Elimus, um, like Paul, did the Holy Spirit open the eyes of his heart? Was he delivered from darkness into light? One day 
in the future will find out. But you, if you're in that condition, shouldn't wait till the future to find out. You should, should give your heart to Jesus now. Why not now? Why not today? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Guy last night, after the service, we stood in the parking lot. He was visiting here from Massachusetts. He said, I gave my life to Christ tonight for the first time. I became a believer. God, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes. He said a friend had, and had he has friends who go, members of this church here, and when he was visiting, they, they brought him here. He said that a year ago, one of his friends had challenged him to read the Bible. And he was like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll take that up. He's been reading the Bible for the last year. He came last night. He heard the gospel. Clearly, he believed. That can be you. Uh, I met a guy one time in Orlando who had grown up in China, and he was studying at seminary in Orlando to go back to China and to be a pastor there, and um, this was his story. He said, uh, I grew up in a family that worshipped idols and ancestors and were involved in all kinds of other superstitions. I also began to practice idol worship when I was very young. As I grew older, I was influenced by evolutionism, atheism, and Marxism at Chinese schools. It caused much confusion about the meaning of life, the significance of marriage, and the future of the world. By the time I entered college, I sought a new way of life by changing my living environment. But not until I came to know Jesus was I able to change my life. In 1995, God sent the Dunn's family from America to my college in China. Frank Dunn taught English at the college while his wife Selena took care of the kids at home. I was attracted by their love for Chinese people and by their love within the family. It was their Christian testimonies which attracted them to me. They spent a whole year sharing the gospel with me in great love and patience. I gave them a lot of challenges by asking all sorts of questions. Finally, I came to a point that I could agree with what the Bible teaches, but I still could not believe in God. I experienced severe spiritual warfare within. I almost felt torn in pieces, One evening, I struggled in prayer to God to help me believe in him. Our God showed his great mercy upon me that very night. He guided my heart by reminding me of my miserable life from childhood to the days I was in college. My iniquities were revealed to me like watching a movie of my former life. God was reaching out to me, even though I was such a wretched man. I was convinced by the Holy Spirit that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and was raised on the third day. On May 23rd, 1996, I completely surrendered my life to Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. That could be you today. That could be your testimony, your story. Don't make excuses if you're here this morning and you don't believe. But don't make excuses if you're here this morning and you do believe. Because as believers, we can take these truths and make excuses with them, right? We can say, um, if it's all up to the Holy Spirit, then, you know, just let go and let God. If it's all up to him, uh, and um, then why make any effort, right? Why, why have to evangelize? If God's going to do it anyway, then, then why put any work in? Well, what do we see in this passage, right? We see God's people actively involved in the work of evangelism. They believe. 
and the power of the Holy Spirit. They believe that it takes the work of God to convert somebody, but they're actively involved, right? They, they're actively involved through sending, through praying, and through the word. The church in, in Antioch laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas, right? They commissioned them. It was a sign that they were with them, that they were for them, right? That, that, that uh, they were doing this together, as a church. You've seen us do this here before. When we have someone come who's going to another place to be an ambassador for the gospel, we'll bring them up here. Folks will gather around them, we'll lay hands on them, and we will commission them, right? We'll pray for them um, as, they, as they go out um, to share God's uh, word. Right now, 20 high school students and leaders are in St. Louis. They left yesterday uh, from our church to go there uh, on a mission trip. They are there uh, working in the inner city, rebuilding homes, mowing lawns, painting buildings, running a kid's Bible club, and sharing their lives and the gospel with the people in those communities, right? Our kids, our students. Um, we didn't get a chance because they left yesterday afternoon. We didn't get a chance to bring them up here and commission them to that, but we should pray for them. Why don't we actually just do that right now? Let's pray for those students. Lord, um, we pray for those students and leaders in St. Louis that you would um, bless their time there, that you would make it fruitful for your kingdom, that you would use them, uh, Lord, through their um, deeds of mercy uh, and through their words to draw people to yourself, that, um, that some might believe in you uh, because of them being there. We pray that you would watch over them and protect them and that you would give particular uh, help and wisdom to Mikey Puckett, our youth pastor, as he leads them. Uh, Lord, pray that you would receive glory from their time there and that you would um, use them mightily. The power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You see, um, the Holy Spirit uses our prayers. We're not, we're not just supposed to sit on our hands and wait for God. Um, we're to be active. Twice it mentions in the passage that they fasted and they prayed. They fasted and they prayed. And so I ask, who are you praying for who doesn't know Jesus? Who are you praying for? Someone who doesn't know Jesus, a family member, friend, a coworker, a neighbor, can I, can I give you a challenge? Take a piece of paper, take an index card, write their name on it and put it on your mirror and pray for that person every day. Pray that the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of their heart to believe. Pray that he might use you in that process um, of them coming to faith. And then finally, don't forget the power of the word of God. Three times in this passage, it mentions the word. Look again at verse 12, the last verse. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at, and you would expect it then to say he believed, he was astonished at the miracle, right? He was astonished at what had happened to Elimus. That's not what it says. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. It is the teaching of the Lord. It is the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to convert sinners. It's the power uh, of the word. The effectual call of the Holy Spirit and the word of God always go 
together. Paul would later write to the Romans, he said, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? Because faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word about Christ. So invite, invite your neighbor to church so that they can hear the word of God preached. Invite your coworker to read the gospel of John with you and get together and and discuss it. Give those who don't know Jesus something better than a movie or a podcast. Give them the word of God and the Holy Spirit will use it. Charles Spurgeon, um, in 1857, he got to preach in what was called the Crystal Palace in London. It was this huge exhibit hall that was built out of steel and glass. I mean, massive. It, it would be like the Orlando Convention Center. And, uh, and he got to preach to almost 24,000 people in the Crystal Palace. And the day before, he went in there to test the acoustics because they didn't have you know, these things. They didn't have microphones back then. And so he was trying to find the right place for the stage and he was testing the acoustics in the room. And uh, not having like anything else to, to read, he just thought to say scripture. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And way back in one of the galleries of the exhibit hall, there was a guy cleaning, sweeping the floors. He heard that, right? And it struck him like a word straight from heaven. He went home, read his Bible. He was converted, became a believer, follower of Christ. The reason we know that story is because he shared it with a friend on his deathbed. It's the power of the word of God, right? The Holy Spirit uses it to open people's eyes. So now you know. Now you know the answer to the million-dollar question. Why do some people believe when many don't? It's the grace of God. The grace of God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. But now I see grace. If you get grace, then you get something way better than a million dollars. You get a restored relationship with the God who made you. Right? You get eternal life. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.